This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Nothing and Kindred Subjects by Hilaire Belloc. Section 29 On a Young Man and an Older Man. A young man of my acquaintance, having passed his twenty-eighth birthday, and wrongly imagining this date to represent the grand climateric, went by night in some perturbation to an older man, and spoke to him as follows. Sir, I have intruded upon your leisure, in order to ask your advice upon certain matters. The older man, whose thoughts were at that moment intently set upon money, looked up in a startled way, and attempted to excuse himself, suffering as he did from the delusion that the young man was after alone. But the young man, whose mind was miles away from all such trifling things, continued to press him anxiously without so much as noticing that he had perturbed his senior. "'I have come, sir,' said he, "'to ask your opinion, advice, experience, and guidance upon something very serious,' which has entered into my life, which is, briefly, that I feel myself to be growing old. Upon hearing this so comforting and so reasonable a statement, the older man heaved a profound sigh of relief, and turning to him a mature and smiling visage, as also turning towards him his person, and in so doing turning his polished American hickory wood office chair, answered with a peculiar refinement, but not without sadness. I shall be happy to be of any use I can. From which order and choice of words, the reader might imagine that the older man was himself a colonial like his chair. In this imagination, the reader, should he entertain it, would be deceived. The younger man then proceeded, nodding his forehead and putting into his eyes that troubled look which is proper to virtue and to youth. Oh, sir, I cannot tell you how things seem to be slipping from me. I smell less keenly, and taste less keenly. I enjoy less keenly, and suffer less keenly than I did. Of many things which I certainly desired, I can only say that I now desire them in a more confused manner. Of certain propositions, in which I intensely believed, I can only say that I now see them interfered with and criticized perpetually, not as was formerly the case by my enemies, but by the plain observance of life. And what is worse, I find growing in me a habit of reflection, for reflection's sake, leading nowhere, and a sort of sedentary attitude in which I watch but neither judge nor support nor attack any portion of mankind. The older man, hearing this speech, congratulated his visitor upon his terse and accurate methods of expression, detailed to him the careers in which such habits of terminology are valuable, and also those in which they are a fatal fault. Having heard you, said he, it is my advice to you, drawn from a long experience of men, 
to enter the legal profession, and having entered it, to supplement your income with writing occasional articles for the more dignified organs of the press. But if this prospect does not attract you, and indeed there are many whom it has repelled, I would offer you as an alternative that you should produce slowly at about the rate of one in every two years short books, compact of irony, yet having running through them like a twisted thread up and down, emerging, hidden, and re-emerging in the stuff of your writing, a memory of those early certitudes, and even of passion for those earlier revelations. When the older man had said this, he sat silent for a few moments, then added gravely, But I must warn you that for such a career you need an accumulated capital of at least thirty thousand pounds. The young man was not comforted by advice of this sort, and was determined to make a kind of war upon the doctrine which seemed to underlie it. He said, in effect, that if he could not be restored to the pristine condition which he felt to be slipping from him, he would as lief stop living. On hearing this second statement, the older man became extremely grave. Young man, said he, young man, consider well what you are saying. The poet Shakespeare, in his most remarkable effort, which I need hardly tell you is the tragedy of Hamlet, or the Prince of Denmark, has remarked that the thousand doors of death stand open. I may be misquoting the words, and if I am, I do so boldly and without fear, for any fool with a book at his elbow can get the words right, and yet not understand their meaning. Let me assure you that the doors of death are not so simply hinged, and that any determination to force them involves the destruction of much more than these light, though divine memories of which you speak. They involve indeed the destruction of the very soul which conceives them, and let me assure you, not upon my own experience, but upon that of those who have drowned themselves imperfectly, who have enlisted in really dangerous wars, or who have fired revolvers at themselves in a twisted fashion with their right hands, that quite apart from that evil to the soul of which I speak, the evil to the mere body in such experiments is so considerable that a man would rather go to the dentist than experience them. You will forgive me, he added earnestly, for speaking in this gay manner upon an important philosophical subject, but long hours of work at the earning of my living force me to some relaxation towards the end of the day, and I cannot restrain a frivolous spirit even in the discussion of such fundamental things. No, do not, as you put it, stop living. It hurts, and no one has the least conception of whether it is a remedy. What is more, the life in front of you will prove, after a few years, 
as entertaining as the life which you are rapidly leaving. The young man caught on to this last phrase and said, What do you mean by entertaining? I intend, said the older man, to keep my advice to you in the note to which I think such advice should be set. I will not burden it with anything awful, nor weight an imperfect diction with absolute verities, in which I do indeed believe, but which would be altogether out of place at this hour of the evening. I will not deny that from eleven till one, and especially if one be delivering an historical, or better still, a theological lecture, one can, without loss of dignity, allude to the permanent truth, the permanent beauty, and the permanent security without which human life wreathes up like mist, and is at best futile, at the worst tortured. But you must remember that you have come to me suddenly, with a most important question after dinner, that I have but just completed an essay upon the economic effect of the development of the Manchurian coal fields, and that, what is more important, all this talk began in a certain key, and that to change one's key is among the most difficult of creative actions. No, young man, I shall not venture upon the true reply to your question. On hearing this answer, the young man began to curse and to swear, and to say that he had looked everywhere for help and had never found it, that he was minded to live his own life and see what would come of it, that he thought the older man knew nothing of what he was talking about, but was wrapping it all up in words, that he had clearly recognized in the older man's intolerable prolixity several clichés or ready-made phrases, that he hoped on reaching the older man's age he would not have been so utterly winnowed of all substance as to talk so aimlessly, and finally that he prayed God for a personal development more full of justice, of life, and of stuff than that which the older man appeared to have suffered or enjoyed. On hearing these words, the older man leapt to his feet, which was not an easy thing for him to do, and as one overjoyed grasped the young man by the hand, though the latter very much resented such antics on the part of age. "'That is it! That is it!' cried the older man, looking now far too old for his years. "'If I have summoned up in you that spirit, I have not done ill. Get you forward in that mood!' and when you come to my time of life, you will be as rotund and hopeful a fellow as I am myself. But having heard these words, the young man laughed in disgust. The older man, considering all these things as he looked into the fire when he was alone, earnestly desired that he could have told the young man the exact truth, have printed it, and have produced a proper gospel. But considering the mountains of impossibility that lay in the way of such public action, he sighed deeply and took to the more indirect method. He turned to his work and continued to perform his own duty before God and for the help of mankind. 
This on that evening was for him a review upon the interpretation of the word Haga in the Doomsday Inquest. This kept him up till quarter past one, and as he had to take a train to Newcastle at eight next morning, it is probable that much will be forgiven him when things are cleared. The end of section 29